Hollywood Romances. Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall. Written and narrated by Brad Carty. One of the most iconic romantic couples who met while acting together are Humphrey Bogart and Lauren Bacall. Even today, the alliterative phrase Bogart and Bacall summons up images of a great love story taking place during the golden age of Hollywood. What is less remembered, however, is the long romantic history of Bogart before Bacall and Bacall long after Bogart. Due to the great age difference between the two actors, we'll begin our story with Humphrey DeForest Bogart. As his full name would suggest, Humphrey DeForest Bogart came from circumstances far different than those of the characters he played in his films. Bogart was born on Christmas Day, 1899, to wealthy parents, one of whom was a direct descendant of a passenger on the Mayflower, which brought the first English settlers to America. Bogart's father, Belmont Bogart, was a cardiopulmonary surgeon. His mother, Maud, was a commercial illustrator who was at the top of her field, earning over $50,000 a year at the turn of the 20th century, nearly three times the salary of her surgeon husband. In addition to a Manhattan apartment, the Bogart family had a lakeside home on 55 acres in upstate New York. Young Humphrey went to exclusive private boarding schools, but he was a poor student and a disciplinary problem. He preferred smoking and drinking to studying, and had a very disrespectful attitude towards his teachers and school administration. This surliness and insolence would become a key part of his later character's personalities on screen. With no chance to enter a good university, Bogart instead enlisted in the U.S. Navy during the First World War. He had always had a great love of the sea that continued throughout his life, and after his Navy service, he joined the Coast Guard Reserve. After the war, Bogart reconnected with an old friend who worked in the theater, and young Humphrey began doing odd jobs in the theater world, and eventually started acting. He claimed that he became an actor because it was easy work, and he liked the late night hours. He could usually be found drinking in speakeasies after performances. His aristocratic manners and posture often caused him to be cast in drawing-room comedies as a friend of the hero. He later dismissed his roles as, quote, the guy who comes on stage and asks anyone for tennis. During this Broadway apprenticeship, Bogart married Helen Minken, a fellow actor, but the marriage only lasted 18 months. A year later, he married another actress, Mary Phillips. This marriage went on for nine years, continuing through Bogart's first years in Hollywood. Both of Bogart's first two wives complained that he was more interested in his career than in marriage and that he was often abusive, particularly when drunk. As we will see, this pattern would repeat to a far greater degree with his third marriage. But first, let's continue looking at Bogart's career trajectory. In the early 1930s, Bogart began playing small supporting roles in movies, although he remained a stage actor for the most part. His big break came in 1935, when he was cast in a role completely different from those he'd played before. The play was The Petrified Forest, and in it, Bogart played Duke Mantee, 
an escaped convict who holds a diner full of patrons as his hostage. His portrayal of a psychopathic murderer was electrifying, and astonished critics who had pigeonholed him as an effete light comedian based on previous roles. The British actor Leslie Howard was the star of the play, and also a producer. He and Bogart became fast friends. When the play was purchased by Hollywood to be turned into a movie, Leslie Howard insisted that Humphrey Bogart recreate his role as Duke Mantee. The studio wanted Edward G. Robinson, but Howard was adamant, and Bogart eventually got the part in the film. The Petrified Forest was a hit, and suddenly Humphrey Bogart was an actor and a character to be reckoned with. Unfortunately, his bosses at Warner Brothers only saw him as Duke Mantee, and for the next several years he was cast only as gangsters, usually supporting James Cagney or Edward G. Robinson. He was never given the lead in a picture. Instead, he usually ended up dying at the hands of the police or his fellow criminals. This depressed Bogart, who knew he had more to offer, and it was during this period, in 1938, that he married his third wife, an actress named Mayo Methot. Among the things Bogart and Methot had in common was a love of alcohol, as well as a bad temper once it was consumed. Methot was very jealous of any attention she perceived Bogart was getting from other women, which often led to public arguments and physical fights when they were out on the town. These were gleefully reported by the press, who dubbed them the Battling Bogarts. Over the seven years of their marriage, Methot stabbed Bogart, set their house on fire, attempted suicide several times, and threw anything she could get her hands on at him. Bogart claimed to enjoy this. He told the press that he liked the jealous wife. In 1941, Humphrey Bogart's fortunes in Hollywood began to change. He was cast as the lead in High Sierra, after the director's first choice, George Raft, turned the role down. The film was written by John Huston. He and Bogart soon became lifetime friends and collaborators. Bogart was once again cast as a gangster, but, for the first time in his career, a sympathetic one. The role allowed him to show more sides to his personality than mere menace, and this included romance, since for the first time he had a leading lady. The film was a hit, and Bogart's profile rose in the industry. His next film would make him a star. Written and directed by John Huston, The Maltese Falcon was the third screen version of a novel by pulp fiction writer Dashiell Hammett. Bogart played Sam Spade, a San Francisco private detective who is drawn into the search for a jewel-encrusted object that is valuable enough to kill for. Surrounded by a great supporting cast, Bogart nevertheless steals the movie with his cool, clever, and, when necessary, ruthless detective. A man who, while looking out for his own interests, is also heartbroken by the choices he needs to make to survive. The film was the first chance for audiences to see Bogart's acting range, and it put him in the top rank of movie actors. Soon thereafter, Bogart was cast in his most iconic film, Casablanca. Playing a nightclub owner in the titular city, he again plays a character who is only looking out for himself 
before being reunited with the love of his life, played by Ingrid Bergman. A deft mix of action, politics, and romance, Casablanca became the template for both Hollywood love stories and the Bogart character. By now, he was more than an actor. He was a type, and audiences knew what to expect when they bought tickets to his films. For a time, Bogart was fine with this. He didn't try to stretch himself as an actor for several years. In 1944, however, everything changed in his life. Director Howard Hawks was one of Hollywood's most dependable filmmakers. He worked in many genres, westerns, gangster films, action-adventure epics, comedies, and was successful in all of them. Despite the varying subject matter and styles, Hawks' films always had a similar male and female protagonist. The man was very competent, independent, insolent towards those who got in his way, and an adherent to a particular code of behavior and honor that he felt justified his actions. The female was very similar, to the point of being almost masculine. The difference was that, in the end, she submitted to the man's code as the price of being with him. This became known as the Hawks Woman, and had been played on the screen by actresses such as Carol Lombard, Frances Farmer, Catherine Hepburn, Jean Arthur, Rosalind Russell, and Barbara Standwick. In 1944, Hawks decided to make a film out of his friend Ernest Hemingway's novel To Have and Have Not. This happened as a result of a bet. During a fishing trip, Hawks said he could make a good film out of Hemingway's worst novel. Intrigued, Hemingway asked, and what's my worst novel? Hawks replied, that goddamn bunch of junk to have and have not. Hawks hired Jules Firthman and future Nobel Prize-winning novelist William Faulkner to write the screenplay, significantly changing the plot and characters from Hemingway's original. In fact, he remade it as a Howard Hawks template, with a male and female protagonist very similar to those in his previous films. Hawks wanted Bogart for the male lead, and was searching for a female actress to work opposite him. His wife noticed an issue of Harper's Bazaar magazine with a model on the cover and suggested her to Hawks. The model was a young Jewish New Yorker named Betty Joan Persky. Born to immigrants from Belarus and Romania, Betty set her eyes on being an actress at a very young age. She attended the American Academy of Dramatic Arts, but had far more success as a model than as an actress. After being crowned Miss Greenwich Village in 1942, she eventually graced the cover of Harper's Bazaar and caught the attention of Mrs. Howard Hawks. After meeting Hawks and passing a screen test, she was told that she would be working next with either Cary Grant or Humphrey Bogart. She was excited about being Grant's leading lady, but far less so about working with Bogart, whom she didn't find attractive at the least. Hawks told her that she would have to change her name, and she chose her mother's maiden name of Bacall, while Hawks assigned her the first name of Lauren. Significantly, she never answered to Lauren. To her friends, she was always Betty. The role Bacall was given in To Have and To Have Not 
was of a tough young woman who had traveled the world and was used to taking care of herself. She had to engage in sophisticated and sexy banter with Bogart's character. In reality, young Betty Persky had never met anyone like this girl and didn't even understand some of the double entendres and flirtatious lines she had to deliver. She was so nervous while filming that her head trembled, so she tucked her chin into her neck to steady it. This caused her to look slightly upwards when talking to Bogart, which became known as The Look. The chemistry between the two actors was palpable, and Bacall was given one of the most memorable lines in cinema when she told Bogart's character, You do know how to whistle, don't you, Steve? You just put your lips together and blow. What Betty Persky didn't know when she signed a contract with Howard Hawks was that he had plans for Lauren Bacall that went beyond a professional association. He was hoping to seduce her and make her his mistress. Those plans were scuttled within a few weeks of the start of filming on To Have and Have Not. Bogart became infatuated with his new young co-star and kissed her in her dressing room. Bacall was responsive, and the two began an affair during the making of the film. The film historian Leonard Malton noted that it's one of those instances where it's quite possible that we are eyewitnesses to an actor or actress falling in love, and while good actors make us believe that all the time, there has to be some extra kick when it's real. Indeed, the chemistry between Bogart and his leading lady was so strong that even Hawks had to concede that it was good for the movie, even if he was enraged at losing his chance to be Bacall's lover. At one point, Hawks threatened to sell Bacall's contract to a low-budget studio, thereby ruining her new career. But Bogart intervened, and Hawks realized he'd been bested by Bogie.